Chloe's fine. Thanks for asking. She's good. Back to her normal self. She lost her car, but it's all good. Uh, last Easter, we got that dreaded phone call last Sunday, but um, she's good. Uh, let's see, what else? Did a funeral last week. This week I get to do taxes and get a new crown. Yeah, it's been fun. Getting old. Death and taxes, right, KD? Uh, But honestly, I look forward to... Oh yeah, my, my office, Sunrise Cafe, caught on fire this last week. They got flooded last night. They don't want to hang out with me right now. It's not good. It's not good. Yeah, Israel, we're leaving 25 days. So hopefully we get it all out of the way before we go. So uh, yeah, it's all good. But, you know, honestly, the the great thing is, is I get to come here and talk about Jesus. So I, I'm stoked about that. Um, we pick up where we left off. We left off on Tuesday, the week of the Passover. Jesus dies on Friday, remember that. He came in on Sunday the 10th as the Palm Sunday rode in on the 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 donkey the little colt the the newborn colt and he's gone back and forth to Bethany over the Mount of Olives and uh, we're on Tuesday which is the 12th day of the month of Nisan N-I-S-A-N Nisan the 12th day of the month of Nisan Now, now let me back up because this this is what's amazing about that is if I start in Exodus chapter 12 verse 3 and he's talking about the Passover. He's talking about the Passover. This is really the Mosaic uh, instructions here. It says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, which was Nisan back then, that they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families. One animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal. A year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats, you are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight, which would be 6 o'clock on Friday. With me? So you get your animal on the 10th. You watch it for five days. You watch it for five days, and on day six, you slaughter it. Has to be perfect. Has to be without flaw. Unblemished. And we pick up on Tuesday. Luke 20, verse 1 says this One day, as he, that would be Jesus, was teaching the people in the temple and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came. And said to him, they confronted him. They confronted him. You, you picturing this? Jesus is 
He's already come into town on Sunday, rode in on the, on the donkey, came back Monday, had some stories for the Pharisees. Now he's back on Tuesday, and he's just teaching the people doing his thing. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Romans, everybody decides to come and confront Jesus because they don't want this going down at Passover. Let me jump to Matthew, which is the parallel passage. Matthew 21, verse 23, it says, When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Watch this. They just asked Jesus a question and said, Why are you doing this? How are you doing this? You know what this is? They're examining the sacrifice. They're questioning the sacrifice. Is this sacrifice without blemish? Where do you come from? Are you kidding me? This thing just totally lines up with Exodus and the whole Passover. Verse 24, it says, Jesus answered them. He says, I will also ask you one question. And if you answer it for me, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Did John's baptism come from heaven or was it of human origin? Now, that question to you doesn't mean a lot, but it sit here, it, Matthew sit here and explains they discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why didn't you believe him? Jesus asked them a question, what authority is John the Baptist? If you're going to sit here and say he came from heaven, then you surely should have believed him. But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd because everyone considers John to be a prophet. So if we say he's from heaven, he's going to ask us, why didn't we believe? If we say he's from human origin, then this crowd is going to be mad because they believe John's from heaven. And if we say he's not, they're going to be mad at us. And look, they're the ones that provide us with income. They're the ones that keep us in this position. So we are up a creek, to put it nicely. It says... So they answered Jesus, uh, we don't know. What do you, that's what a kid says, right? Did you do this? I don't know. Exactly what they did. We don't know. And it's all because these Jewish leaders, they had an agenda. The agenda was, hey, we need to keep this system of what we're doing, Passover, how we're getting offerings, how we get all this money and everything. We need to keep that in order. And if Jesus is messing this thing up, they had an agenda. We've got to make Jesus have a fault, be at blame. If he's at blame, then we can arrest him and we can put him to death. And then we can get on with Passover. So all we have to do is we have to corner this Jesus guy and prove that he's not the Messiah. So we'll just keep throwing questions at him. We'll keep examining him. We'll just, we'll get him in a corner. And he said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. 
If you can't answer my question, I can't answer your question. And then Jesus goes into verse 28, a parable of the two sons. He says, this is awesome. This is the way Jesus works. He says, what do you think? He's always wanting you to think. A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the man went to the other and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered, but he didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will, Jesus asked. And immediately they said, the first. They answered the question because they wanted to prove their knowledge. You see, the Pharisees were the ones that were given the law and knew the law and thought that they were pretty smart. There's a difference between knowing things and being wise, though, right? You you know those people, right? They can be very knowledgeable, but there's not a lot of wisdom there. And I have a feeling that that's what these Pharisees were like because they pretty much displayed that. It's kind of crazy. They answered the question to prove their knowledge, but based upon Jesus' response, they pretty much condemned themselves here. It was more important for them to be smart than it was for them to be wise. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. I mean, he like looks at him and says, do you get this? The tax collectors, which you hate, the prostitutes, those lowly people, they're getting in before you. Would have loved to have been there. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes, he says for a second time, did believe him. But you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds then and believe him. In other words, he's taken this parable of the two sons and said, look, you've said that you're going to do all these things, yet you did nothing. Yet the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they didn't really have that option, but they did believe. They did do these things. So now Jesus... (laughs) He's taking the people that are examining him and he just like punched him in the gut. He just said, you guys are not getting this thing. And I I take you to uh, the next parable, the parable of the, the vineyard owner. But you have to know this, that Jesus pulls this parable from the old covenant. It's in Isaiah chapter five, verse one and two. It says, I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planked it with the finest, planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yield, yielded worthless grapes. Now watch, Jesus tells this parable right here in Matthew. He says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. 
the same thing that we just read from Isaiah. When the time came, tenant farmers and... Wait a second. Uh, He leased it to tenant farmers and went away. When the time came to harvest fruit, he sent his servants to the farmers to collect his fruit. The farmers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned a third. Again, he sent over other servants, more than the first group. And they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. You, you see what the roles are here, right? The prophets that came and they pretty much killed all the prophets and now he sent more prophets, the minor prophets, and then now he sent his son Jesus. It says, so they seized him threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? Hello, you guys, look. I'm telling you this parable, which many of you can't even see, but you're done for. You, you, My father will take care of you because you simply do not believe. They said, out of their knowledge again, He will completely destroy those terrible men. They said that. They said that about themselves. The father would absolutely come and destroy those terrible men because they wanted to prove their knowledge that they understood what he was talking about. They told him and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his fruit at the harvest. Again, they condemned themselves and pretty much said, Hey, look, if we're not going to do it, then God's going to use somebody else to do it. That being the Gentiles. They see this thing, but they don't see this thing. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? And he quotes Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord has done. And it is wonderful in our eyes. You rejected the stone that became the cornerstone. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Now, you can take that passage of Scripture out of context there and it says... You know, all the covenants, the Abraham com- uh, covenant, the the, da- the covenant made with David, all those things, you can nullify all those covenants that God made with the Jews by that verse right there. But that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is what he has been talking about these last few weeks, the end times. When the end times come, the people that will be producing fruit, this is after the seven years of tribulation and and everything else, there will be a remnant of Jews who come to know Jesus as the Messiah. And this is exactly who he's talking about when he says it will be given to a people producing its fruit. He's referring to those specific Jews. Verse 44, it says, Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. 
when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these his parables, they knew he was speaking about them. They figured it out. Although they were looking for a way to arrest him, they feared. Matt, they feared. It's that fear thing coming in. But this is like real fear. The fear of what the crowds might do to them if they arrested this person that they believed was the Messiah. Because the people regarded him as a prophet. Their actions determined what was based upon how the crowd responded to them. I don't think you ever want me to lead this group based upon how people respond to me. Think about that for a second. I feel uh, at ease in this group right here to teach what I teach. And I don't feel that there's a pressure to teach something different. Where it's not always that way. And this is exactly what uh, Jesus has done. He, he's teaching what his father tells him to teach. He's not getting the peer pressure. And then he tells another parable. This is in chapter 22. It says, Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet. But they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited. See, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. God had invited the Jewish nation to his wedding banquet. But the Jews rejected his offering. But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them, the king was enraged, the king being God, The king was enraged and he sent out his troops, killed those murderers and burned down their city. Happened in 70 AD by the hands of the Romans when they killed 1.1 million Jews. That's history. Then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city. Go outside of the Jewish country. Go outside where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. If they're not going to come, I'm opening this up to everybody else. So those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. When the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. That sounds... Sounds like me for a second, but uh, uh, what you have to know there is what the king did is he actually provided 
wedding garments for everybody to come to the wedding. Like it was a free gift. The king would, you want to come to the wedding, I'll dress you for the wedding. It was a free gift. So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. He's indicating here that there was a free gift that was offered, yet you chose not to take it. Now you're coming to the wedding and you're wanting to partake, but yet you never believed. So therefore, you're gone. You're out. We jump forward here. That passage in Matthew parallels uh, Mark 11 and 12 and Luke 20. And we take you to uh, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 13. They're still trying to corner Jesus. We just need one good question to corner Jesus so that we can kill him. We can arrest him and kill him. Verse 13, it says, Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians. Oh, wait a second. You know who the Herodians were, right? That were followers of who? Herod. So that would be the Romans. So now you've got the Pharisees, which are the scribes. And you've got the Romans that are coming together. They're coming. That doesn't happen. The Pharisees and the Romans were at battle all the time. But now they're coming together because they both want Jesus done with. It says they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. When they came, they said to him, teacher, we know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks. Remember what we just talked about? There's no peer pressure there. He can just teach what he wants to teach. Nor do you show partiality. You show no favor to any man. They're saying Jesus is fair as can be. But teach the way of godly truth. (laughs) They said, we know that you teach godly truth. The Pharisees and the Herodians. It says, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? It says, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why are you you testing me? He says it right there. Remember, we go back to Exodus chapter 12. It says, you'll examine this lamb, this goat, this sheep for four or five days. And Jesus sit here and literally says, why are you testing me? He knows why he's testing them. This is what they do for four or five days. He said, bring me a denarius to look at. Look. You know what this is? Look at this. Come here. Hold that. You know what that is? It is a denarius. It is an actual denarius. You know who's... Can you see whose head that is on there? It's not John F. Kennedy. It's an old one. That would be Caesar. That's on there. Yeah, that's on there. 
That is an actual denarius that I, I borrowed from my friend Micah. If you want to like pass that around, you, don't be putting it in your pocket. <laughs> Make sure that Micah gets that back. But that, here, here's what Jesus said. This is awesome. He says, bring me a denarius to look at. Who's he saying this to? He's saying this to the Pharisees and the Herodians. Well, the Pharisees didn't have any any of that denarius on them. Why? Because if they did, that means that Caesar would be an idol to them if they had that on there. They had their own money. They didn't use Roman currency. So they literally had to go get a denarius from somebody else probably one of the Herodians. And he says, bring me a denarius to look at. They brought a coin. He says, whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And it says, and they were utterly amazed at him. Once again, Jesus answers a question with wisdom. Wisdom that they did not have. And they were in awe. In just a brief verse, Matthew twenty-two, twenty-two, it says, When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Jesus just kept putting them off with wise answers. And then we're going to close this with this one section right here. Matthew 22, verse 23. So now you've had the Pharisees, which are the scribes. You've had the Herodians there, the Romans, which are there. And now all of a sudden, the Sadducees are coming into play. The Sadducees were considered to be the priests. Pharisees were the scribes. They're the ones that kept the law, wrote down the law, made up the law, everything else. But the the Sadducees were the priests that helped with the sacrifices. And they always thought that they were better than the Pharisees. They were seen as being better than the Pharisees. But there was a problem with the Sadducees. The Sadducees. Get that on the way home. Is that they didn't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in resurrection says this, verse 23. That same day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came up to him and questioned him. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. That's actually found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. It's part of the Mosaic law. So now the Sadducees have come up to Jesus, and this is a question that they quite frequently asked to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees never could answer the question. And they just held it over them. And so now the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees have all teamed up to corner Jesus. It says, Now there were seven brothers among us. The first got married and died. Having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second also, and the third, and so on to all seven. This poor lady. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, 
Remember, the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. In the resurrection, then, whose wife will she be of the seven? For they all had married her. And the Pharisees are like going, yeah, we haven't been able to answer this question. Let's see what Jesus does with this one. We finally got him. We finally got him. Verse 29, it says, Jesus answered them, you are mistaken. Because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, for those of you that know your scripture well, you'll know that in some passage of scripture, it says some of the angels married and actually created offspring. Those were actually fallen angels that did that. They weren't angels in heaven that did that. In heaven, they don't reproduce. On earth, you reproduce. It says, now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, you think about that. You're sitting here. You're stuck on the reproducing in heaven question. And you're stuck on the whole marriage question. I get it. You're not going to be married in heaven. You're not going to have kids in heaven. I believe that you'll know your spouse. I believe that you'll know your kids. But it's it's just, if you just try to wrap your brain around that, you can't do it. It's kind of like a couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, in the beginning there's this, God said in the beginning there's this timeline. But then God's on a continuing timeline. And you get to heaven, it's like, okay, what age are you in heaven? Right? What, are you, what age are you in heaven? Are you born in heaven and you just... You, what, who's, what's somebody say? 30? You like 30? You want to go 30? 30 was a good year. <laughs> you won't have to worry about your body. You will have a resurrected body. That's a good thing. Uh, but we'll all be brothers and sisters in heaven. Even my, my own children will be my brothers and sisters. Just th- think, think about that, that simple idea right there that, that God allowed us to be here on earth to reproduce and to have a family. And it's chosen that we are to walk. My wife was chosen for me to walk here on this temporary journey together. That's it. We're, we're in this thing together here on earth. We will be in heaven together. We won't be married in heaven. But for this time right now, I got to take this journey with Michelle. And God blessed me with some great parents and grandparents and two incredible kids. I'm sure grandkids in the future. And it's, it's all just part of this journey right here. That's the beautiful thing. 
But now Jesus has answered the question that the Sadducees always ask the Pharisees. And he's like, what's wrong? You don't know the Scripture? This is what the Scripture says. You're not going to be married in heaven. There's actually going to be a resurrection. The Sadducees were sitting there like, and the Pharisees were like, yes, busted. We have our answer. And you see, this is what Jesus did all those four or five days. He continued He continued to answer their questions. They examined him. They flipped him this way. They flipped him that way. We asked this question. We'll bring in these people and these people, and they'll just keep asking questions. And in uh, verse 39 of Luke 20, it says, Some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. And they no longer dared to ask him anything. You know what that says to me? He's perfect. He's flawless. He's blameless. We've examined him. We've asked him tons of questions. It's just setting up for the Passover lamb. That's all it is. Jesus not only showed his knowledge, but he showed his wisdom. His wisdom that comes from God. You get that right? You can have all the knowledge in the world, but the wisdom comes from God. You want wisdom? Ask him for it. Ask him for it. I'm thankful for a uh, Savior that lived the law perfectly. It came as a sacrifice for me so that now um, I have the ability to live the law perfectly. I don't. (laughs) Trust me, I don't. But I have the ability to because he lives here within me. And if I allow him to do that in me, he will do that. If I allow him to live my life for me, I'm I'm talking about literally live my life for me. He will do it for me, and he will do it perfectly. And that's my prayer for you. Father, I, I thank you for <clears throat> today and all the stuff that's going on around us right now. The uh, Todd and death and taxes and floods and but just the chaos. But you came here and lived this life perfectly so that we have that same ability in you. You and us, us and you. That's a beautiful thing. And I trust you with your word. I trust you with what we've read today. Thank you for your wisdom. We pray for wisdom for us, each one of us here. Just the ability to go throughout the week. And... Uh, We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.